Um, we're going to be in John's Gospel, if you turn there in your Bibles, page 886 in your Bible. We're carrying on, we've got uh, this week and next week left until Christmas is nearly here. We've got on our Amazon Alexa, the kids every morning uh, speak to Alexa, who weirdly has become like, she's been personified as like a lady in the house, like when, she's not, when Alexa isn't around, it's like, where is she? Which is a bit... <laughs> a bit uh, worrying but they speak to Santa every morning Santa gives them an update on where we're up to so it's 10 days left until Christmas day hopefully has everyone got their Christmas tree up? Yeah. this is a very great therapy for Andy actually hand, <laughs> put your hand up if you got your Christmas tree up oh there's more than Andy alright oh, yeah well I was trying to peer pressure Andy into getting his tree up we are nearly there and it's hard to avoid isn't it that Christmas is nearly on us and just through these four weeks of Advent We're looking specifically about Jesus coming, but Jesus coming specifically to us as a king. Last week, Mark uh, took us through Jesus coming as the king who brings light. And this week, we're going to look at Jesus, who is the king that brings life. So we're just going to look at uh, two or three verses in particular this morning. But I'm going to read all of the passages that we had so far, beginning in John uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. And then read it down to verse 13. So let me read that. I'll pray and then we'll make a start. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have come. We remember at this time of year that you came as a baby, but we thank you that you grew into a man and grew as a king. Jesus, we thank you that right now you are ruling and reigning as king over all with authority and sovereignty over everything in this universe. We thank you that you are that grand and that majestic, but you are also uh, so, so um, in love and, um, and you care so much about the intimate details of our life that you are here now by your spirit. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you delight over us. Thank you that you provide for our every need. Thank you that you have given us life. Not just physical life, but the ability to live eternally with you in peace and joy. And right now, Lord Jesus, we pray that by your spirit, we would have a real sense of what that means. That we would be people who receive you and believe that you are who you say you are. So help us by your spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lead us and guide us into truth. And we ask that you would do that for the glory of the Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Jesus is king. He is the king who brings 
life. Verse 9 of the passage we just read there, we see that Jesus is the true light which enlightens everyone. And, and Mark kind of brought that to bear last week that, that we had the great example of, of the sun and the light and just the warmth and, and the enlightenment that it brings. And Jesus in his coming brings that. And his coming in light is, is intimately connected in his coming with life. And I wonder what we think of when we think of life. Interesting, I read an article just uh, yesterday. Uh, a poll was done globally uh, uh, with uh, teenagers, um, uh, boys and girls from 15, I think, to 19. And they were asked to try and explain what they thought life was and what the meaning of life was. And if they thought that they had grasped what life was. And the UK came second to bottom in the whole of kind of all the countries that were polled across the world of teenagers being able to understand what life is. And the guy who was writing this article put his finger on a real kind of existential crisis that teenagers in our country are having when it comes to understanding life. They don't really know what it is, that for them it's kind of just day-to-day existence. What we see in the Bible actually is that there was a time when all of humanity knew what life was and experienced life and life to the full. So when we think of life, there are kind of different ways and different aspects that we can think of life. So firstly, um, there is kind of our biological life. So, so um, and kind of philosophers and biologists will call this our bios, which is where we get the word biology. Well done, Andrew. Biology. So that's that kind of our physical body, our existence. So everyone who's breathing is alive. They have life. We can't kind of contest that. Everything that is breathing has life. It has a bios. It has a kind of physical existence. And then the second one that they say in terms of what life is, is they, they call it um, kind of our psyche. And what they mean by that is our mind, our will, and our emotion. So, so the way that we think, the way that we, we make decisions, the way that we respond just to the circumstances of life, they say that is a, a type of life, that is a type of living. And everyone in the world who is alive and breathing exemplifies and has those two characteristics of life. Bios and a mind, a will and emotions. But there is a third kind of life that the Bible speaks about. And this life is, is what kind of philosophers call zoe. It's a Greek word, and actually you see it all over the New Testament, zoe. And it's a kind of life that is specific to God and God's people. It is an uncreated life. It is a, an eternal life that is only possible through God. The writers in the New Testament describe it in a way that if you have this, this zoe, if you have this kind of life from God, it is like fuel to your souls. And our original parents, Adam and Eve, enjoyed this life. If you go right back to the start of the story, which our Bible is, you'll see in Genesis, right at the start, you'll see that humanity is created. We read that in John's gospel as well. The God is there at the start and he creates. God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, God, the Son, the, the Trinity, the eternal Trinity working together to create. And in the, in the creation account back in Genesis, you see them kind of each day creating. So they create, uh, create light and then they create the, the seas and the heavens and the land and the planets and the stars and the birds in the air and the animals on the ground. And then they get to the sixth day and, and, and the way that the, the writer of Genesis describes it, it's almost as if God, like the Trinity, steps back for a moment. 
and looks at the beauty of their creation, looks at the order of creation which they brought out of chaos. And it's as if in unison they, they kind of, they roll out their final act of this great cosmic creation. And they say, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And that's what they do. You, you see them out of the dust of the ground. They create man and they create Adam. They create life. And then in chapter two, it goes on and, and it says this, God breathed into his nostrils, that's Adam. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living creature. God breathed into Adam. God breathed into humanity a breath of life. That word life there, when the, the, when the Greek kind of New Testament translators translated back the Old Testament, is the same word, zoe. God breathed into Adam his eternal life. God breathed into humanity his own life. For Adam at this point, he isn't just living, he isn't just existing, he is, he is, he is receiving the fullness of who God is in his life. God breathes into him, he imparts into him, he places into his creation his life, his perfect life, his eternal life, which with it comes eternal peace, eternal satisfaction, eternal joy, eternal rest. And Adam has all that in that moment. God breathes that into him and in that moment, all is well in humanity. And then the narrative goes on, Eve comes along, taken out of the side of Adam, part of him. And as she is created, she receives the Zoe, she receives God's life as well. In Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, all of humanity are living and they are existing with God's life, with life to the full. An overflowing life, a deep life, a life with true meaning, a life where they have no need for anything outside of God. A life that isn't just, just survival, but a life that is truly flourishing. If only the story stopped there. But we know that it didn't. In fact, we only need to look around and know that it didn't. Just open our eyes, open our ears, and we see the brokenness of this world. We see the dissatisfaction in people's lives. We see the joylessness. We see the desire for people to, to want more and more and want better and better. Because something happened in the garden that changed the course of history forever. The life that was breathed into Adam was soiled. It was stolen by sin. What you see in Genesis chapter 3 is Adam and Eve desired more. God had given them everything that they could ever want and they, they desired more specifically. They desired to be God. And you see them straying outside of the good parameters that God has given them to flourish. And they disobey God. They turn their back on him. They rebel against him. They sin. And the perfect life that is given from God breathed into them is broken it's disrupted it's distorted it's impurified it's like a, a city being stormed by an enemy army their pure and innocent life is being invaded by sin and as it is being invaded death comes with it and death takes up residence in their life and death rules and reigns over them and sin invades every area of their life it invades their physical life they become weary and tired 
It invades their kind of psyche, their, their mind, their will and, and emotion, their desires become selfish and they become angry and, 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 and all of their, their emotions become tainted with sin. And sin affects their Zoe life. The eternal perfect life which God breathes into them is no more. God's perfection cannot abide in their impurity. The eternal rest, the eternal joy, the eternal peace, the eternal love which they once had is now a thing of the past. After Genesis chapter 3, you see humanity multiply. And each generation fails to experience the fullness of the Zoe life that God breathed into their parents, Adam and Eve. And instead of flourishing, their life becomes existence. It becomes survival. They become people who fumble around in the darkness, trying to hold on to anything that would promise them satisfaction and contentment, only to find that these things are temporary and often lead them into further and further darkness. Because in the garden, their nature changed. They are no longer people who are without sin, but they are now people who are born in sin. But even though humanity's nature changed, God's didn't. God's nature is eternally loving. God's nature is eternally good, eternally kind, eternally gracious, eternally generous. And remember, the sixth day of creation, humanity is God's grand finale. Creating Adam, creating, creating humanity is the thing that he waits for to last. last. It is his spectacle, the thing which he delights over. And even though sin has now divided God from humanity, he doesn't abandon them. In the very same moment that God discovers Adam and Eve in their sin, he gives them a promise of restoration. In Genesis chapter 3, he promises that one will come to release those who bear his image from their sin. He promises that one is going to come who release them from their slavery to sin and death. And as you move off from Genesis chapter 3 through the Old Testament, God keeps reminding his creation. God's, he keeps reminding his people about this promise. There is one coming hope in this one who is coming and he builds on that promise this one who's coming is going to liberate you from your slavery this one who's coming is going to be your savior this one who is coming as we saw last week is going to come with light so there will be no more fumbling around in the darkness trying to find contentment trying to find satisfaction this one will bring light into the darkness of the world and the darkness of your hearts and as he comes as a king of light he will also come come as a king of life a king with zoe life a king who comes with the eternal life of god and as you move through the old testament you, you soon see it comes clear that this one who is coming is god himself the son of god jesus after thousands of years of darkness after thousands of years of death and sin ruling after thousands of years of humanity struggling and, and, and being anxious in this wait for a saviour, as life slips through their fingers like the vapour of wind, you get to John chapter 1 and the wait is over. 2,000 years ago, God steps in. Verse 9 again, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. 
And he came. Jesus came. Jesus, who is God, born of a virgin, puts on human flesh. He came. And as he comes, he comes with a purpose. And his purpose is to bring life. That is the heart of this great story. That is the heart of this book, that God comes. Jesus comes to bring life. Most of us will know John chapter 3, 16. This is what John says just over the page. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is why Jesus came. That is what we remember at this time of year, that God came to bring life. And that word life there in in John chapter 3, 16 is zoe. This is the eternal life of God, not just a biological, physical life, not just life where we can think and have emotions and have a will, but the eternal life of God, that is what he came to bring. You go on to John chapter 10, verse 10, and you hear Jesus himself say this. He says, uh, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. He's talking about Satan. I came that they may have life. That's Zoe life again. I may have life, that they may have life and have it abundantly. (coughs) Jesus is saying that is why he comes. He doesn't just come to kind of teach us good things. He doesn't just come to kind of make a spectacle of the rulers and authorities. He is saying specifically, I came and I came to bring life. And not just life in kind of meager kind of components, a little bit of life for you, a little bit of life for you. How much life does he bring? Abundant life. That is why Jesus came. To bring the life of God, eternal life in abundance. And folks, that is what we were created for. That is what we once enjoyed with our father and our mother, Adam and Eve, in the garden before sin invaded and destroyed everything. Perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect satisfaction, perfect contentment. And Jesus says, that is what he is bringing. As Jesus grows, he grows from a baby into a boy, into a man, and he lives a life much like we live, except he was perfect in every way. He was tempted like we are, except he was perfect in his temptation. He, he was angry like we are, except in his anger he did not sin. He experiences pain like we do, but without sin. And throughout his life, he keeps on declaring what he has come to do. I've come to bring life. We saw it in John 3.16. If you kind of moved on through the Gospel of John, you'd see chapter after chapter, he comes and he declares, I've come to bring you life. Don't miss it. That's why I'm here. I've come to bring you life. Chapter four, he says, he, he kind of just describes humanity being thirsty. And he says that as you thirst, I have come to give you a drink that if you drink it out of you will be springs of water welling up to eternal life. In chapter four, he says this, that if you hear my word and believe the father who sent me, you will have eternal life. In chapter six, he, he kind of uses this metaphor. And he says that as he comes, he brings bread. And this bread brings eternal life. In chapter 7, he uses the metaphor of water. And he says, anyone who drinks of Jesus out of their heart will flow streams of living water. Zoe water. In chapter 11, you see his friend, his dear friend Lazarus die. He is dead. And yet Jesus brings him back to life. And what is the declaration that Jesus says? I am the resurrection and the life 
And not just physical life, not just kind of life where we engage with our mind and our desires. That word there, life is Zoe, the eternal life of God, eternal peace, eternal joy, eternal contentment, eternal satisfaction. Chapter after chapter, right the way through this book, you see Jesus saying, I am coming, I am coming, and as I come, I bring you life. 43 times he says it, even just in this one gospel. Jesus comes to bring life the eternal life of God and how does he do it let me give you one last one John chapter 15 verse 13 this is what he says greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends that is how Jesus is going to give his creation life Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down their life for his friends. Jesus is going to give up his life to give us life. Jesus is going to exchange our death destined sinful life for his perfect (coughs) eternal life. And that's exactly what he does. That's the very reason that he came in verse 4 of of John chapter 1. This is what it says, in him was life, and life was the light of men. It's the reason that he came, to give life by laying down his life. That has always been the plan, that that we would receive the fullness of his life for the fullness of our sin. Isn't that scandalous? The Jesus who created us, created our bios, our kind of physical human bodies, created our, 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 our psyche kind of life, our, our, our ability to think and to have a will and to have desires. He created all of that. And instead of kind of using those things to worship him and glorify him, we use our physical body, we use our mind, we use our desires to sin against him, to turn our back on him to demand more from him, as if he's some kind of genie that we can just demand from, to scorn him, to blaspheme him, to use our bodies for for the complete opposite of what he created us to do. We use our life to offend God, and yet he wants to give his life to give us more life. That is scandalous. Jesus wants to give his life to give us the greatest gift, eternal life in him. In verse 11 of what we just read, you see that Jesus comes to do that and still some people will reject him. They won't accept him. They will turn their back on him still. But in verse 12, some will receive him and they will believe him. And look what he does for them, verse 12. He says, to all who do receive him, who who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is what John is saying that Jesus will do. For those who receive him, for those who believe, they will receive new birth. They will receive new life from God. The eternal life that is lost in Eden will be returned to those who receive and believe him. The very thing that humanity have been searching for, Jesus is ready to give to those who would receive and believe that he is who he says he is. That he is the saviour they have been waiting for. That he is the king who rules over all. That he is one and the only one who is able to give us life 
and that he does that through his death. At the end of the gospel, you see Jesus being tried, falsely tried and accused. You see him being flogged and beaten and abused. You see him being nailed, his hands nailed and his feet nailed to a wooden cross. And you see him struggling under his own weight to breathe. And what you read in the account is that Jesus breathes out his last and he dies. The same one who breathes life into creation hangs on a cross and breathes out his last breath. Not for any sin that he has committed, but for our sin. The death he dies is the death that we deserve for our sin. Yet his final breath becomes the means for our first breath of eternal life for all of those who would receive him and believe in him. As in place of our sin, we receive forgiveness of our sin and life eternal. At the cross, as he breathes out his last, the barriers are ripped down and separated us from God. And on the third day, as Jesus rises again and rises in victory, he declares that we have indeed received his life. And not just life in eternity, but eternal life now. This isn't something that we have to wait for through Jesus' resurrection. He is the first fruits of a new creation. And he says that we can receive this life here and now. And we won't receive it perfectly. On this side of the new creation, everything will be a struggle. And everything will still just be, just be a fraction of what it will be. But we will receive the Zoe life here and now. So what do we do with that? What do we do that Jesus has promised and has come as the king, as God, to bring us life? Well, the question, the question that the passage that we read from John chapter 1 demands is, have you received him and have you believed him? Have you received him as, as God, as Christ, as the promised one? And have you believed that he is who he says he is? And that is a question for all of us, whether we are a believer or not. So let me ask you first, if you are a believer, if you would say that you are a Christian, do you feel the reality that Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, has given you his life? Do you feel the reality of that? Do you feel, even just, just in a sense, the peace and the joy and the love that comes with God? And yes, you're not going to feel it in all perfection now, but there is a reality that you, you should feel some of it. Jesus has given you that life now. Ask yourself that question. Do you feel that? And if you don't, that isn't because Jesus hasn't given it to you. Can I suggest it's because you're still trying to find life and meaning outside of Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the temptation is when it kind of struggles hit and, and circumstances close in on us is that we run back to our old life and search for life and search for meaning and search for joy and peace and rest in all of those places. And Paul is saying that old life is gone. 
If you're going and trying to search for life and meaning in those places that you once found it, that's gone, it's been crucified. And the only life that you now have is in Christ. And it is a multitude, infinitely greater than any life you could find anywhere else. If you're still searching for life in those places, those places will lead to lifelessness, joylessness. They will lead to distraction and distance. If you're a believer this morning and you are struggling and you aren't feeling that you are able to kind of to say confidently, I've received life and I am walking in the abundant life which Jesus has given me. Maybe you need to ask him to open your eyes to see what he has given you. Come to him and ask. Can I just say this one thing as well? The reason that you won't is because you're proud. It's interesting, isn't it, that the pride is the root of sin. But it's also the thing that stops us going to help for our sin. And if you're sitting there this morning and you are struggling to find joy, you are struggling to find rest, you are struggling to find hope, you're struggling to find peace, all of the things which Jesus gives us through his life, can I submit to you, maybe that's because you're being too proud. Too proud because you are just maintaining to walk in your sin and also too proud to ask him for help. I would suggest to you this morning that you come to him and you ask him. You confess your sin when you're walking in sin and you ask him for his help. You ask him to remind you who you are, what he has done and what he has given to you. And you ask him for those things again. Lord Jesus, give me hope. Give me peace. Give me rest. Help me to know your love right now. If you're not a believer this morning, and you need to know that your restless pursuit for life and meaning, your craving for peace and joy and love and all those things that I've just described will not be found outside of Jesus Christ. He is your creator. It is only he that is able to breathe life into your dead soul. You need to receive him and you need to believe in him. My prayer is that, is that that would be what you do this morning that you would receive Jesus for who he is, God incarnate, come to give you life through his death, and that you would believe him, and that you would know that he has done all that is necessary for you to receive life, and life in all of its abundance. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come. We thank you that in your coming you brought Light, you have shone light into the darkness of this world. And you shone, shone light into the darkness of our hearts. And we thank you that as you have come, you have brought light and you have brought life. Not just life that brings mere existence, but life, life eternal. Your life. We recognize that in so many ways we are so undeserving of that. And so we thank you. We thank you that it is through your death that we are given life. We thank you that, that you have not abandoned us, you have not overlooked us. You have not deserted us, even though we deserved all of that, but you have drawn close. You've come and you've lived amongst us and experienced all that we would experience yet without sin. Help us now where we are struggling to know if we are believers this morning, where we are struggling to know and to, to feel the reality and the beautiful weight of the life that you've given us. Holy Spirit, help 
those of us this morning who are, who are deep in despair, who don't feel the closeness of your love, who feel weary instead of rested, who feel the weight of, of shame and guilt instead of the liberation that comes with the forgiveness that you've given us. And Holy Spirit, I would pray that you would remind us that, that there is no need for us to fear those things if we have received the life of God. Jesus, help those of us and, and would you, as you asked us to come, uh, asked us to do, would you help us to draw near to you? Those of us who are weary and heavy, would we draw near to you this morning? Help us to put our, our pride to death as well. Where we are walking in sin and arrogance, thinking that we can find life and meaning outside of you, put those things to death. And we are, where we are walking in pride, refusing to come and ask you for help, put that to death as well. Humble us, we would pray. And Jesus, we just thank you that we have so much to worship you and glorify you for what you came to do. Help us now as we share this meal together to do this as an act of remembrance, for an act of worship and thanksgiving for all that you've done in bringing us life. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. As we come and share this meal this morning, we do that as a celebration. We do that in remembrance for those of us who are believers that we have received life. We do this looking back, looking back to all that Jesus did to secure that life for us through his, his perfect life, through his suffering death, through his resurrection. We do that looking forward to an eternity where we will experience the abundance of life and all of its perfection. But we also take this now in the present for fuel for our souls, as a grace to us, as a help in our time of need, as we pray and ask God to help us in our weakness and remind us of the power, the efficacious power of Jesus' shed blood and broken body for us. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter one. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be washed white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That is what the cross does for us, folks. Isaiah is looking forward to a time when Jesus will come. We can look back to a time where Jesus came and did that very thing for us. He washed our sins, which were like scarlet away, and made us white as snow as we received his perfect, eternal life. So as we take of this meal, remember that Jesus' was, Jesus' body was broken for us. Remember that his blood was shed. And as his blood was shed, it was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And we remember that three days later, he rose again in victory, in proclamation that he has conquered Satan, sin, and death. And he has secured for us an eternal life here and now in abundance. So let me just pray, and then when you're ready, um, Come up to the front, take of the bread, take of the wine and the juice. Before you do that, I encourage you just to take a few moments in quiet. And take those moments in confession and repentance. Think about where you are still walking in sin and arrogance. Confess those things before God. And give thanks for the forgiveness which you have received. Celebrate the gospel, the picture that this is of Jesus' body broken, his blood shed, his victory over Satan, sin and death. 
for us that we would receive his life. I take this time if you want to share this together. Uh, take this time to care for one another as the body. If you want to share this meal together, please come to the front and take that or, or maybe take some back to your seats. Well, let me pray and then when you're ready, please come and take this one. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that as we look back to the cross, we see our King, our Lord and our God and our Saviour, suffering in our place. Jesus, we thank you for, for all that you received, all of the punishment that was poured out on you in our place. We thank you that you experienced death. We thank you that you experienced the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. We thank you that there is not one sin for your people that has not been paid for on the cross. We thank you for the power of your blood which was shed for us to forgive every single one of our sins. So that we could confidently say, even though we struggle now, that before the Father, our sins were like scarlet, you have washed us white as snow. Thank you that we are presented now before the Father as your people. As people who have received life and life eternal. Jesus, thank you that we have received your perfection, your righteousness, your holiness. In exchange for all of our sin and our corruption. We thank you that we are yours. Holy Spirit, help us now as we just spend time reflecting. Would you bring to mind where we are walking in sin and unrighteousness? Would you help us to humble ourselves and confess and repent? And would you encourage our weary hearts? Would you bring hope where there is hopelessness? Restore to us the joy of our salvation. As we remember all that has been brought to us and won for us. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus, we take this meal in great thankfulness and worship for all that you have done. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.